go down this whole rabbit hole of what's the difference between V8 and Node. Then you learn about Dino. Then you learn about JavaScript core. And then you realize that, okay, JavaScript code ain't just JavaScript code. Like running JavaScript code is something that many different people have done in many different ways, building on many different pieces of technology that is not very portable. Hi there, and welcome to Pod Rocket, a podcast brought to you by LogRocket. LogRocket combines session replay, error tracking, and product analytics to help software teams solve user-reported issues, find those issues faster, and improve conversion and adoption. Get a free trial at LogRocket.com today. Today we have a special guest with us who has been on our podcast multiple times already. So he's a seasoned interviewee, and he's a supporter of the show. Please welcome... Anthony Campolo, he's the host of FS Jam. You might listen to it where they go over the latest trends in full stack development. Today, we're going to be diving into the edge. It might seem like a mysterious something to some, but it really is a universal backbone that powers the experience of the internet that we know today. Welcome to the podcast, Anthony. Excited to have you. Hey, Paul. Thanks for having me back. It's great to be here. Last time we talked, we were talking about Web3 and we were talking about nodes and serving a data layer. And I guess today the topic of conversation is quite similar. We're talking about the edge. For people who are coming to this podcast wanting to learn what the edge is, can you give an analogy or comparison that might help wrap their heads around it? Yeah, sure. This is a common term you're hearing a lot and it's becoming baked into the way we do like our serverless functions. You may be hearing about serverless edge functions these days. So we're using edge in a similar way where the edge is about getting the compute closer to the user. So the way you usually do this is by having some sort of distributed global CDN or just like multiple server farms that are all around the world. So wherever your user is, they have a small latency to get the data. So Edgeo is a CDN, and we have pretty much one of the largest networks or rallies up there with things like Akamai, and it's really well integrated with the ISPs even. So for us, it's a way to really optimize the performance at that last mile to the user. And I, I think it's important to note, we are going to be talking about EGO today. That's the focal point of the technology that we're going to be talking about. But we introduced the podcast in general as talking about the edge. And the edge is a pretty universal concept and like abstraction layer in technology. And EGO is where you're at right now, Anthony. So EGO, is, that, is this like an edge provider? Is that the correct way to summarize it? Yeah, so let me try and fit this into the broader ecosystem. People who listen to this show are probably familiar with AWS, GCP, Azure. Those are your layer one clouds that are the base infra. Then you have things like Netlify or Vercel or Flight Control even that build higher level abstractions on top. Egeo is, first off, it's many different things. So it's a kind of a streaming platform and a deployment platform at the same time. So let's separate those two and talk just about the application deployment platform. I think of it like giving you a Jamstack kind of experience in terms of how you have a really nice dashboard, you sync to a Git repo, you can push assets, but it's really made for enterprise and for large scale 
really big apps and websites who are going to be shipping millions of pages. And if you were to imagine a Netlify or a Vercel, but instead of being static first, it's server first. So you can build static assets and push those up as well. But really, it's going to assume actually you have a server to start with. And that's why it can be a similar development experience to one of these other Jamstack providers. But the idea is that you don't really ever need to migrate off because you'll see this a lot where people will grow to a certain extent and then they'll be like, oh, now I got to migrate to AWS. But with Edgeo, you're already on a network that kind of can scale with you. So the closest thing I would probably compare it to is it's a bit like working with Cloudflare combined with Cloudflare Pages because Cloudflare Pages would be the equivalent of Edgeo sites and Edgeo applications. And then you also have the security and the networking layer there as well, which is the stuff that usually is handled for you with things like Netlify or Vercel. So it's a little bit deeper into the stack with hopefully not introducing too much extra complexity, but is giving you extra capabilities. So when somebody makes a deployment on Edgeo, is this a deployment at a very high level I can think of replicated globally when you know it's geographically close to the users and I can have control over a server-side rendered environment and a little bit deeper into the stack? Is this sort of like a unique value that Edgeo is offering versus like just a Netlify deploy? So it's going to give you different staging environments, and then you'll be able to deploy to, if you want to deploy to specific regions, you can do that. Or if you want to just deploy it to the CDN itself, then you can do that as well. So for the most part, when you're working with it, you're not going to have to think too much about regions when you're working with it. I I think you can probably fine tune that type of stuff if you need to, but for the most part, you're able to just work with it and not have to really worry about when is this thing going to be on the edge? When is this thing going to be at my origin server? And you can assume that's going to be handled for you. Right on. So what do you think are one of the most common misconceptions about architecting software on the edge? If somebody were to reach for Edgeo today and they want to start building a very fast application that is content first, one that might stand out to me is if your application database, like maybe you don't have replicated RDSs everywhere, you have one central app database, that could be a geographical bottleneck. I'm curious, like, how does Edgeo help developers with that? And what are some other misconceptions when architecting? Yeah, there's definitely a trend right now to try and push as much stuff to the edge as possible with things like Fly.io being like the logical conclusion of this, where it's like, let's run a Docker container at the edge, which also gives you a really nice, simple mental model but that's not really what you want to do unless you really are buying into the whole, that whole container lifestyle. With this, it's more so figuring out where does the actual server rendering happen and does that need to happen on the edge or not? Because that could be one sense where you don't want to have to run this code every time on the edge it needs to happen if you could just run it once and then push the results of that to your Edge CDN. So that's where I think the deployment platform really can come in and help here is that developers want to have the benefits of the Edge without having to necessarily think about how they need to architect their application and at what point that handoff happens. So with Edgeo, 
the they do have a storage kind of API, but for the most part, you'll be running like a database kind of wherever. So if you want to have one of these more kind of edge native databases, you can do that or you can work with traditional single origin server kind of database. And then that is going to hook into your Edgeo application. And with the Edgeo application, you will have conventions with a route file where you can set cache headers and you can manage like edge configuration. So we have the ability to do similar things you do with Cloudflare Worker or now stuff we see with Netlify, edge handlers where you'll change headers or you'll reroute traffic or you'll do that kind of stuff. So that is where you can run configuration kind of code on the edge. But what's cool with Edgeo, what does make it unique is it's not using isolates. It's not having a spin up. There's no cold start. It runs like native varnish, like actually just straight up machine code. I don't really know anything about varnish. That's the thing that I know CDN people talk about. Like, that's the fastest way to do stuff, just running in varnish. So that's the underlying thing that it's working with. So very minimal if you're saying no cold start times with some of the features that Edgeo offers us. And is this something that you find persisting throughout the board with Edgeo's offerings is something that you would traditionally find a cold start and you don't have on the Edgeo side. That's really the idea. We're very, very heavily focused on performance. And this is one of the things that made me really interested in working for the company and getting involved in it. Because I think we're in this kind of zeitgeist moment in JavaScript where a lot of frameworks are realizing how important performance is and how they need to think about performance from the beginning. And you have so many new frameworks now, either solid or quick or on the server side bun that are saying, hey, we need to actually architect for performance from the very beginning and then benchmark every single part along the way. We can't just make a nice developer experience build this app and then once you have the app be like okay how do we optimize this thing because we're realizing now that kind of puts you in a pickle right and when you find yourself in that pickle do you find that pushing things to the edge like a networking layer misconception is very common like the solution people say oh i'm a developer it works fine on my local but when you actually put it out in the wild that's when one little 10 percent lag on one step for every re-render causes a giant lag over time. Is this really the crux of the problem, you think? That's So that's not what I'm referring to right now. That's a big part of how the edge helps the performance. But what I'm talking about right now with the frameworks is the single page application problem and the large bundle problem and the things that partial hydration and resumability are meant to fix. Because those are issues where there's just too much code. You can connect and get them that code really quickly, but then that means they get a bunch of code really fast that then takes a long time for their device to parse. That doesn't help anything. This is why I say you got to think about this thing holistically. There's so many steps along the chain. There's the application itself, then there's how that gets delivered, then there's how it functions on the device. And so we're saying, okay, if the framework can give us a small bundle, we will get that to the user is instantly and then that's how you get this really snappy experience which is what you need for things like e-commerce do you feel like when 
you want to design an application to be edge performant and you're doing this balancing act of I don't want to ship too much code at the beginning, but I don't want to not have a rich user experience or I don't want stale buttons because I'm waiting for hydration to take, you know, you're, you're playing this balancing game with a bunch of levers and the way you optimize that is can be framework specific or it can be vendor specific. Like for AWS, that's a classic trope, classic problem. Do you feel like the way we're designing applications now is very vendor lock and heavy for edge optimizations because at the end you're relying on proprietary hardware that is deployed in a proprietary way that is finely tuned and finely optimized with an API and you know you really have to like lean into those APIs do you find like there's a a lot of vendor lock in because if you're moving from Cloudflare or Fastly back over to Edgeo vice versa or does it more in the architecting at the beginning I think we're in a better place now than we've ever been. This is something that I've been tracking for a while and that personal interest of mine with Redwood because there was a time back in like 2021 when I was researching how to get Redwood to run on the edge because Redwood is a monolithic GraphQL server and having that be a cold start bottleneck was a huge issue for the framework. So it made a lot of sense to say, hey, if we can get this thing on a Cloudflare worker, like that is going to like almost eliminate this entire issue, which is like affecting every single one who's building these apps. Then you realize, wait a second, Cloudflare workers doesn't run Node. I thought it ran V8 though. And then you go down this whole rabbit hole of what's the difference between V8 and Node. Then you learn about Dino. Then you learn about JavaScript core. And then you realize that, okay, JavaScript code ain't just JavaScript code. Like running JavaScript code is something that many different people have done in many different ways, building on many different pieces of technology that is not very portable. However, now we realize that this is an issue that we need to really solve. And there's more collaboration happening between groups like Cloudflare and Dino, who have the Witcher CG group, the WebTime interoperable consortium, something like that. I forget the exact terminology. But that is about creating this runtime that is just standard JavaScript ECMA compliant kind of code and uses web native APIs and can hopefully become portable. I'm not really sure how Edgeo will fit into that kind of mission because we're running Node. And then, as I said, we have our own kind of like specific configuration thing for our like setting the configuring the the cdn so it would be interesting to see what's going to happen once things like bun and dino and cloudflare workers start to become more interchangeable i'm actually seeing this with frameworks now there's like frameworks now that are being built to run on any of those like it's horrible between cloudflare worker dino and bun there's one in particular that I can look up. But I think that this is going to become, hopefully, an actual real thing where you can start porting from one runtime to the other. We're not quite there yet, but there's a lot of movement. And if we have one universal runtime, that sort of breaks down some silos between being able to take one piece of your stack and have it on one provider versus have it on another provider which is really nice. You don't want vendor lock-in, which is one thing I love about flight control. Like flight control, it really, it, it, it almost defines a base set of interactions and pieces of hardware that need a efficiently delivered modern web application to have. And you can take that in or out of AWS in, in a lot of different ways, those, those same concepts. 
yeah, Hono.js is the one I was thinking of. And then there's another one called Hat Tip. So H-O-N-O, H-O-N-O-J-S dot dev. It's a web framework for Cloudflare workers, Dino, Bun, and others. So yeah, I think this is pretty cool because what it does is it assumes everyone wants to work with an API that's going to be similar to Express or Koa or Cloudflare workers. So it's kind of like tries to mash all those together into something that is similar to what we've been writing but either is standards compliant or will just be transformed into something that's standards compliant with a kind of lightweight library wrapper around it. So I'm seeing a lot of these projects right now. I think Worktop was one that used to be out a while ago that was doing a similar thing. So I definitely recommend people check these kind of things out because I think this is a, a very big shift that we're like right on the cusp of. And just to sum- summarize, Anthony, the cusp, the shift that we're like entering right now is how we're deploying our applications. That's the topic. It's leaving behind node APIs, hopefully, is the shift I'm referring to specifically, because that is the thing that everyone has been writing their stuff on node APIs. And then if you can run a node server anywhere, that's great. But that can't be run on the edge because then you get the cold start issue. So that is the thing that we're trying to fix right now with this like universal edge runtime kind of thing. And it's really exciting to see frameworks come out such as Astro as an example where you can run on one runtime or another runtime. There's applications that are making themselves multiple, but to have that universal runtime is, yeah, I guess we still have, still have, still has to be seen, but it's, it's coming. Yeah, it's partly just comes down to the framework authors and the deployment providers themselves all figuring out once every deployment platform figures out how to run every framework, then everyone can look at the sum total of all this stuff and be like, okay, here's the commonalities between all this. Here's the thing that everyone's doing kind of differently. And that's what's been, I think, really good about both having for having deployment platforms that are not framework specific and having frameworks that are not platform specific. So that seems to be also a big trend that I'm very happy to see because I like just trying out lots of different things and combining different pieces of tech. So if you go to like Edgeo's docs, you'll see a guide for pretty much every single framework you can possibly think of. And since we're talking about user experience and having the best loading time for your website and the best content delivery on the edge right before we get into some other features of edgio i'm just going to take a quick pause here to remind listeners that this podcast pod rocket is brought to you by log rocket and log rocket can help you understand exactly how your users are experiencing their user experience you can keep track of sessions errors product analytics frustration indicators algorithms and ai's surface the most impactful issues affecting your users so you can spend more time building a great product rather than hunting through your tools so solve user reported issues find those issues faster and improve your conversion and adoption today with log rocket so stepping back into edgio specifically and the edge to improve your user experience one thing that i thought was really neat is the streaming offerings that edgio has because streaming is something that naturally goes hand in hand with the edge you're talking about fast updating content and you can permeate content out to the globe quite easily but like doing that quickly all the time can become expensive so how does edgio begin to tackle this problem anthony and what do you think are some of the most compelling use cases or conversation starters for the value that streaming has within the ecosystem 
so the first thing we need to clarify is we're not talking about HTTP streaming here. This is actually video streaming. And the history of how Edgeo came together helps explain what's happening here. Edgeo is actually a new company made up of three very old companies. So most of the things we've been talking about right now, the Edgeo applications, the kind of deployment part of it, the site's performance and security part of it, that is what used to be called Layer Zero. And Layer Zero was this suite of tools, and they combined with Limelight and then Edgecast. And so those three companies have come together and they were more focused on video content. So we support sites like Dailymotion or Rumble, which is like an up and coming YouTube competitor. So we're streaming like a, <laughs> we're at least either first or second largest video streaming platforms in the world. So that is what makes it definitely totally unique from most of these other kind of platforms, which can hook into some sort of storage, but video is such a specific kind of problem to itself. And that is why if you go to, you know, Edgeo, you'll see these different kind of products. You'll see that we have the performance sites and security suite, but then we also have the media delivery and open edge suite. So those can all be combined into whatever kind of order type of application you want to create. So if you want to bring in video stuff, you can do that. But if you want to just still build just like a regular old blog or, or e-commerce site, you can do that. So it's going, going back to what I said, where this is not something you would ever need to migrate off of. Like no matter what you want to build, no matter what kind of application or experience you want to create, it's all there for you. You don't necessarily have to dive into it all immediately, but it's not something where you're like, okay, I have this nice deployment platform, but then when I want X, Y, and Z, I need to integrate tool X, Y, and Z. I like guess all there. What do you think is an area that Edgeo is currently working on and developing in that you think tackles some problems or offerings maybe that some other providers have that you think might open up the doors for some applications that Edgeo may not be the first stop shop that people think of that, oh, these features are coming out. It's going to enable more, more people onto the platform. What's what's in the works right now? Yeah, I think having a really well integrated experience in terms of how you actually test and tune and record performance, because what a lot of people right now, and I think especially a lot of beginning web developers, what they're taught is you create a website. Once it works, you run it through Lighthouse or a similar tool. You look at the scores it gives you, you look at the advice it gives you, and then you change the stuff it tells you to change until the numbers go up. And then once the numbers go up, then you dust your hands off. You're like, all right, I did it. The site's performant. And that's not really the whole story a lot of the times because any type of measurement is only going to measure what it's measuring. And there's actually things outside of Lighthouse that are going to be happening in an application that might not be getting captured. So you can have all 100s while still having a slow user experience if you are having to do super slow page transitions and things like that. So the real thing you want is RUM, real user monitoring, which doesn't run a synthetic test because that's the other important thing about Lighthouse is that it's testing certain things, which gives it certain biases in terms of what it's scoring you on. But then it's actually not like running the site and having a user use it and then telling you what the performance is it's 
running it in a fictional kind of environment where it's testing things out and seeing what the results are. And for the most part, this works and it helps you optimize and it helps you make your website better and faster. But it's not exactly the same as the experience an actual user will have if they just go and use your website. And what you want to do to get that is you just have them use your website and then you record how long it takes for stuff to happen. <laughs> and that's that's your thing. So it's actual, it's like an empirical method versus a rationalist method. You're actually going to gather data that tells you how fast or slow your site is. I remember the first time I learned this as a thing, I was like, why is that like this weird, obscure thing that, that almost no one I know is using? That seems like the thing we should all be using. A lighthouse should be kind of like a, a nice extra thing you can use. To me, it seems totally flipped around. What are So do you feel like EGO is going to help developers and teams step into that testing space a little easier since we're talking about what's new and upcoming? Well, so right now, this is not so much... Like the, the capabilities are already there. So it's very easy to get a script in. You have a, a tab in your dashboard specifically for this. The the thing that I want to help people with is just explaining both the value of this and then creating content around showing how to do it. Because I feel like this should be more of a core skill that web developers have is like, how do you actually install these scripts onto your site to really monitor the performance and then how do you run a b tests to see what the changes you're implementing what the downstream effects are of that so that's the type of stuff that's already in there and you can do but it's like the the whole platform itself there's a lot of different things you can do so i really want to help draw that story out for users with the content i'll be creating and just showing how this is what's going to help us get out of this going back to like the the single page application problem as we get more comfortable building these workflows into our normal development environment we're going to continue to get more and better visibility into all of the different aspects of our site's performance and all the different ways we can tweak it and change it and which things are actually going to be moving the needle and which are just you're actually doing something that doesn't actually make it faster you know, there's this term like security theater like performance theater is like oh, I changed from this framework to this framework, so now it's faster. It's like, well, did you benchmark it? Is it faster? Do you actually know it's faster? you just been told this framework's faster, you know? Do you, I was, and my follow-up question to this was, do you feel, Anthony, very strongly about there being like a common silver bullet? I don't even want to call it silver bullet, but like a common area of, we can call it misconception of when people are trying to tackle this problem. And one you just mentioned right here, which is like relying on the words of others, which is like this framework says it's faster. So if I use it, it's going to be faster. Well, no, I mean, it depends on how your application's architected. And there's a lot of other factors to look at. But do you, Anthony, have any uncommon opinions about this topic that you obviously are very excited about, you're making a core, you're going to be making content on it for people like a core skill um, that kind of flies by people. Yeah. And that's why I would say there is no silver bullet for performance. And when you hear this whole, it depends thing when it comes to engineering, this is an area where it depends so heavily on so many things, both your use case and what you're trying to do and what tech you're using. So that's why for me is more about, what are the mental models we need to get to be able to start to understand what does it depend on? Because when you have a new framework that comes out and says, this is more performant, 
that can be true, but that's it's going to be more performant in a specific way. And just because it's going to be more performant for 90% of use cases, it might be less performant for 10% of use cases. And you need to know which one of those you're in. So sometimes you can migrate to a quote unquote faster framework and make your application slower if you understand what that framework is doing. And so that's why everyone now is trying to understand basically what's partial hydration, what's React server components, and what is like islands, how does all this stuff relate to each other, and what is going to be the best approach, and how is that going to work into the DX. So that really needs to be worked out on the framework level. And then once that's worked out, then all the kind of deployment platforms can figure out how to make that really nice and easy. The thing I worry about is that we're not going to pick an approach and we're just going to have all these different ways of shipping different amounts of javascript and that's going to be extremely confusing for people and it already is so i'm hoping to see more consolidation around that but um this is the 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 blessing and the curse of open source javascript is that it's a free-for-all it's a dancing landscape it's a great term orta taught me that there is no centrally planned thing that we can all say okay this is what we want to optimize on us, create a five-year plan, optimize on this metric where everyone's going at their own way. And hopefully one will rise to the top or some will be good for certain use cases. Some will be good for others. Like some I've been saying is that I'm bringing back the, they used to say Svelte is for sites, React is for apps. I've been saying Astro is for sites, Quick is for apps. Because I think those both represent like Astro is the new kind of static site generator with a little bit of interactivity, whereas Quick is the new super interactive but still performant kind of tool. And then you have things like Solid, which kind of sits in both of those kind of camps. And then React Server Components now is finally getting some attention. And that is the one that could have the biggest impact on the overall ecosystem. Because if all of the React frameworks move to React Server Components, then all the other frameworks might then be like, okay, this seems like kind of the model we're all going with. But if only Next goes to the React Server Components, all the other React frameworks don't, then there'll be less of an incentive for non-React frameworks to adopt a similar server component type model. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's the leader, line leader of the group, essentially. Anthony, if people wanted to hop into Edgeo today, if they were in the user interface for the first time, and they wanted to like deploy a site. What like what are some of the immediate like first sections or buttons or names that people might see if you know just to like make sure they're in the right spot? Yeah, so go to docs.edg.io and check out just the basics or the sites feature in particular. I think that's probably the easiest one to get set up. If you go to sites and then frameworks, you can find a template for any of your favorite frameworks we have some that are we consider them quote-unquote tier one support which means they're being consistently updated with the new versions and getting the new features so these are essentially nuxt and react proper that will probably expand at a certain point but then we also have templates for every other framework you can think of they may or may not be on like the latest hotness we're probably still on astro one and not astro two for example but there's a, a good guide and template for each of those. And then you'll learn how to use like the layers, the Edgeo CLI. And it's a really nice experience. And if you 
happen to have your own framework you're building for whatever reason, you can actually use our connectors. You can actually build your own framework connector as well, which is really easy to do. And I kind of did a little bit of with Redwood back in the day. So yeah, I'd say check out that, check out the sites. And then once you start kind of building that out, you can start checking out the performance and the security features and, and all that other stuff. And Anthony, if people wanted to hear more from you, like we said at the beginning of the podcast, you've been on two other episodes with us here at Pod Rocket. Where do people follow you on your Twitter or other postings? Yeah, my handle is AJC Webdev all across the internet. I even have an AJCWebdev.com blog now built on Astro. And yeah, I'm on Twitter, I'm on GitHub, I'm on Twitch. And I love talking about this stuff. And FSGM is my podcast where we cover all of these frameworks and I've interviewed a lot of the framework authors. And then definitely need to mention JavaScript Jam. This is something that was already being run by the community team at Edgeo when I joined. And it was actually one of the things that got me interested in the company is that I've been going to these weekly Twitter spaces they've been doing. They've been doing them so long they used to be clubhouses, but now they're Twitter spaces. And every Wednesday at 12 p.m. Pacific, we have either an open mic where we talk about JavaScript news in the last week, or we have a specific guest and we interview them about whatever they're working on. So I really enjoy those because it is like a live podcast recording where you get these great guests but anyone in the audience can come up and ask a question and like become part of the podcast. And then we have a weekly newsletter where a lot of the material we talk about is sourced from. So all that is at javascriptjam.com. Anthony, thank you for your time. And for people who want to hear more, you know, you can go check out Anthony's podcast, FS Jam, hear more about the latest and greatest in the JavaScript ecosystem. And definitely check out the other two episodes at Pod Rocket. Thank you for your time, Anthony. It was a pleasure. Yeah, thanks, Paul. Always fun getting to be back on Pod Rocket.